that we may hear your good news of grace and that it would dwell in our hearts, encouraging us to live lives of grace and abundance to others. We pray this in your name. Amen. Our first scripture this morning is found in Psalm 145, verses 8 through 21. And if you would join with me in sharing this, that which is in black bold print, if you would read it along with me. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Such a beautiful statement that's made not only by God in Exodus about God's self, but a resounding credo claim that's made from God's people again and again throughout Scripture. Wonderful to hear and wonderful to proclaim. We're currently in the middle of an outreach sermon series in which we're thinking through how do we go beyond our doors to love and serve our neighbors and uh, participate in that, that wonderful, beautiful ministry of God in Jesus Christ. And today we're going to continue into that by reading a passage from Matthew's Gospel. And this passage from Matthew's Gospel happens right in the middle, chapter 14. And at this point, Jesus' ministry is well underway. It's got a lot of energy going to it. And people are really, there, there's a variety of people that are coming out. There's some that really love what he's doing and 
want to be more a part of it, want to come closer because they know that his is a peaceful and healing presence and the presence of God. There are others who are unsure and they have questions and so they want to come closer in order to figure, figure Jesus out. And others want to come closer in order to test him and, and see if he's going to trip up so they can then accuse him and bring him down by the letter of the law. So uh, his, his ministry is underway and we enter into chapter 14 which begins like this. At that time, Herod the ruler heard reports about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead, and for this reason, these powers are at work in him. It's a very interesting couple of verses here, right? You have Herod, right? We've heard Herod's name in, in the Bible before particularly around Christmas time when it says Herod was very jealous of this to-be king who was an infant, right? But the Herod there at the beginning of Jesus' life, 33 years previous, isn't the same Herod. That's actually a Papa Herod. We'll call him that, right? Um, and the Herod in this story is his son, who's a ruler and a governor over a particular part of, of Jewish land, okay? But make no mistake, he's just as horrendous at life and ruling and all the above. So, Herod the ruler hears this report about Jesus, similar reports that have been pouring in across the land, and he's confused because he thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist. Now, what's this about? Because it says that John was killed by Herod. And so this, this next scene is like a flashback of Herod's horrendous deeds of life. So here it is. For Herod had arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, Herod's brother's wife. And because John had been telling him, Herod, it was lawful for you to have her. Though Herod wanted to put him to death, Herod feared the crowd because the crowd regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and she pleased Herod so much that he promised on oath to grant her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. Now the king, Herod, was grieved. Yet out of regard for his oaths and for his guests, he commanded it to be given. Herod, this horrible dictator, just completely continues his trek down that road. <laughs> He's conflicted because he doesn't want to do it, but he does it so that he doesn't kill the party. But in event, he ends up killing this man who is righteous and good and seen as such by all the people. The story continues. Herod sent and had John beheaded in the prison. The head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who brought it to her mother. After this, John's disciples came and took the body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Now imagine for a moment, 
being one of those people to tell Jesus. And you know that Jesus and John had grown up together. They were family. Remember the story at the beginning when John leapt in Elizabeth's womb because, because Jesus was in Mary's stomach when Mary came to visit Elizabeth. And they grew up, perhaps seeing each other and celebrating festivals. They knew each other. And here is not just a family member, but a friend of Jesus who has died, who's got run over by this, this horrible, unjust wheel of power. This is the person that John, Jesus perhaps felt mostly akin to because he was pursuing the same thing in the same way as Jesus. And here he has died. So the story continues. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. Jesus is grieved. He's sad. He wants to be alone. So he goes to a deserted place out in the wilderness where nobody else would be, right? In order to think through this and process this, to lament all the sadness within him. And perhaps we know Jesus has a side of him to wrestle with his anger about the senseless and idiotic violence that happens in the world and has continued in every part of human history. And one in Jesus who could probably command a thousand angels to take over and destroy in wrath the city and this, this Herod who has hurt one of, one of Jesus' family members. Jesus doesn't. Because he continues on in the line of the mission that he was sent to do. To come and preach the gospel of good news and peace and favor of the world in God's eyes. Jesus will not be dissuaded, But he needs to go to this place for a while and wrestle with these things. And perhaps also the impending challenges and perilous end that he will have to face as well. For what he's teaching and proclaiming about the kingdom of God. So he goes to be alone. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. He wants respite and respite. But he doesn't get it because there are crowds right there. And as we're a crowd here that's gathered this morning, I'm I have a question. Why do you want to get up and come here to this place? On a Sunday morning for worship. Perhaps it's a striking question. You're wondering why I'm asking it. <laughs> but I do wonder that sometimes as I'm walking or driving to work. Maybe it's because you, you really sense God's presence and you want to be close in this place to God. Or maybe you just love the people in the community and want to be near them because you cherish them. Or maybe you haven't had this warm experience of God, but you hope and want to, want to hear God speak. And maybe today will be the time. Or maybe you're here because your parents made you. <laughs> Certainly, I, I did that for 18 years until I got on board and really wanted to come here for all the reasons I've mentioned before now. We come here for, and we want to come here for different reasons. Perhaps a better question to ask is, are you aware of your needs as you come here? Is the reason why you want to come here connected to your needs that you have? 
your longings, your desires, your needs for church in this place we call God's house where we have, when we believe that there's intimate contact with God when we worship. And perhaps your needs are like a flame that burns, burns brightly or like a raging fire. You're aware of the tough spot you're in and you want to come to push your needs in front of God's eyes as if to say, help God. God, help me at work. God, help me in this relationship. God, help me put food on the table and a rent check in the mail for the coming months. God, help me with the internal battles that I fight daily. And this flame of need burns hot and intense, almost consuming us. Or maybe your needs are not so intense, not so all-consuming, but they're just present always, the need to not be run down by the daily stresses and the need for some peace and quiet and stillness. Or maybe we don't even know our needs because we've tried to make ourselves forget. Because needs, after all, are just a reminder of our pain, a reminder that the world isn't perfect, a reminder that life didn't turn how we expected or wanted a reminder that we struggle with trusting God. And so perhaps some of us have buried the flame of our needs like putting mounds of dirt on a fire. Perhaps you're not even aware of the flame of your need because your need is buried beneath a shovel full of alcohol or painkillers or fixation on social media or constant motion that you, that because of these things, you cannot identify your own needs, let alone admit them. Yet all the while, you have a deep sense of the ache somewhere within, and you know it's a part of you, the needs that you have that truly long to be exposed to the fresh, fresh air of Jesus Christ. However we come here to this place and with whatever awareness of our needs, I bring this up because our passage is about needs. Everybody's need. Jesus is in need. He's learned that his cousin has died and been run over by this horrible and just wheel of Herod. And so what happens in this story, I'll continue on here. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. These people are willing to go out to this harsh place because of their need. He had compassion on them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And he ordered them, the crowds, to sit down on the grass Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. 
And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. I imagine that when Jesus saw them, the crowds, perhaps he recognized himself in them, and they in him. And one of the most beautiful claims about the gospel is that Jesus is human, that God is human. Matthew says God has become flesh and has dwelt with us and given Jesus' name, Emmanuel, which truly means in Hebrew, God with us. God is united to us, united to you in what stirs your mind, your gut, your heart, your soul. He sees your needs and recognizes in you the needs that you have. And we can stare back into the eyes of Jesus, who is called Emmanuel, and we can see ourselves in God's own eyes, perhaps. A God who understands, a God who knows the ache and the needs, a God who knows the compulsion to throw heaps of dirt onto the flame. And it says in that moment when he saw the crowd, he had compassion, right? In Greek, it's splonknizomai, a wonderful, beautiful word, <laughs> splonknizomai which means to have compassion, or literally gut-wrenched, bowels moved and turned over. In English, our word for compassion means not only to suffer with someone or feel their pain, but also to have a strong desire to see its cause permanently eliminated. Jesus felt their pain. He was united with these people in common need. His need for grieving the loss of his covenant and cousin and their need for something he could see and know of them. And so with his gut gripped with grief and a heart hollowed by hurting, he began to move closer and more deeper into their lives to cure them. And this movement to heal is really an example of that creed that we mentioned, right? God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, is boundless in love. Because Jesus is at the end of himself, but somehow he is this bottomless well of love and compassion and care for those who are right there in front of him. Apparently this work took so long, for daylight is fading. And I imagine because of this, Jesus has taken so much time to get to know their names and know those needs really well before he healed them. The disciples as daylight is fa fading, with grumbling stomachs like alarm clocks, are awakened to their need for food. And perhaps seeing Jesus' benevolence, they're like, oh, we got this. Hey, Jesus, uh, it's late and past supper time. We're doing the really hospitable thing and caring thing to notice the needs of this crowd and think that you should send them away to get food. What do you think about that? And so Jesus' response is peculiar. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And I've always been struck by this. Why does Jesus say this? I always think this is a snarky line, but I see it differently in the context of outreach that we've been thinking about. And I think that Jesus said this line as a way of helping them to remember how deeply they are part of his ministry and work in the world. I see this line as a reminder that they are invited into something incredible and that to truly follow him is to be invited into a surprising ministry where everyone even the disciples' needs are met. And when they allow Jesus to care for their needs, 
they also participate in seeing and addressing the needs of others. The disciples say, we only have a couple loaves of bread and fish. And I imagine Jesus saying, that is perfect. That is all we need in this moment. Exactly what we need. Bring it here. And so he blesses the fish and the loaves, and he breaks them, and he offers them. And the disciples, when they go out, they feed, and they come back and get more, and these baskets never run out. And actually, there are leftovers, 12 baskets full, which are perhaps just a representation of the fact that each of the disciples have a basket to give out and will continue to give out as well in the future. And the story recounts 5,000 men, but that's just men. And there are other really important people, like women and children, who were there that day. So maybe it's more like 30,000 who were fed. And I imagine they sang psalms like the one we read together. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all he has made. And like they would have said at tables in Jewish households, this next line of the psalm is particularly poignant. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Perhaps taking on different and new extravagant meaning in that moment. Everybody came out with different reasons, but they were united in their needs, their hunger for food, for justice, for healing, for company, for God. Jesus saw and Jesus provided through the disciples. And this story isn't a story about us having to be Jesus, where we are finding ourselves at the end of ourselves, worn out and tired, and somehow have to dig a little deeper just to, just to show care and compassion and mercy and ruin ourselves for that. That's not the point at all. The point is that God has moved in so close as to smell our horrible breath when we're hungry. God has moved in so close to see the flame of our need when it blazes in our eyes and when it's all but put out. The miracle is that God sees the needs and not just acts for those who are there, but for the whole world. For the whole world by inviting a second action of the disciples to participate. And we are caught up in this. Because God takes us, whoever we are right now, wherever we are right now, and whatever we have right now, and blesses it in the service of the world. And the miracle happens when the disciples are sent out to serve. And so the miracle happens when the church comes so close to people that it smells the hunger on their breath or sees the flame of need in their eye. And we're each called to pick up a basket. But sometimes we're stuck thinking about how many fish and loaves we have, right? Take a moment to think of, of a time when you said to yourself, I only have, like the disciples did. I only have these bread, this bread and this fish. I only have this body. I only have this mind. I only have this job. I only have this heart. I only have this story. And it's the way that we limit ourselves by seeing it in a certain way. But if we just reframed it and saw how God sees it and takes it and blesses it, we would see who we are right now and what we have as enough and perfect for God to use in service for this world. 
and even for us to experience a really rich, defining experience of life. The miracle is that we are invited to see how Jesus has compassion for our hurt and our need, and that we are invited into the work of Jesus in this world by showing compassion for others. And so I don't know why you're here, where you came, or what your needs might be, but I know that we each have them. And I know that you have noticed needs in people around you in the world. And so some, a movement that I'd like to make in thoughtfulness with this outreach sermon series is that we might consider what it looks like to be followers of Jesus and showing the love of God when we go beyond these doors. So my homework, Pastor Stacy, you want to do homework for these, and I like that idea. Two things. First, notice Jesus in your own life. And I hope you take like five minutes, just five minutes in the next week. I want you to think back on a moment in your life when you know someone saw your need and noticed it and moved close to you to help you out. Remember that moment or maybe moments and savor it like rich food and say, God, thank you for him. Thank you for her. Maybe by remembering the way we had need in the past, it can, it can provide us not only with a grateful heart, but also invite us to awareness of God's miracles. When our flame of life was blazing, or perhaps all but put out. Second, notice the needs of other people. Put on the eyes of Jesus this week and notice other people. Jesus truly invites us in this ministry to see and experience the miracle that can take place when we simply have compassion for another person. Be attentive to needs, either big or small. Maybe a cashier who could use patience, encouragement, or a smile. Or perhaps it's a friend who you think could use a phone call and someone to listen to. Notice the landscape of your life and see those in need. And if you can't find five moments, I challenge each of you to delete applications from your phone. I'm serious. I deleted Facebook, and my goodness, I spend much more time looking around at my life now. And if you think you can't find five minutes, just do that for this week. See what changes. See what happens. See what you notice. See what God might say. But in all, let us step beyond these doors with a desire to see our own need, to see others' needs, and to see the way God takes us, blesses us, breaks us, and offers us to each other. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this story, this miracle where we see your compassion provide so much. And we pray that we would be um, encouraged by this story or moved by this story or maybe even just curious. Uh, but in all, that your spirit would work to guide us deeper into your presence um, and shape our hearts to be like yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.